So we definitely have that Thursday morning camp look and feeling. A bit, a bit embattled, a little bit fatigued. Um, <laughs> what wondering, uh, can I make it through the day? Praying, God, please have mercy on us. Let the weather go away. But if we're honest, this is life, isn't it? Life is full of joys and sorrows, victories and what feel like what feels like defeats. Uh, life isn't consistently easy, and it will not be this side of the resurrection. Life will be difficult. Life will be challenging. And I know it feels at times that your challenges uh, are, are more than you can bear. But as we've been seeing in 1 Corinthians, God has not allowed us to be challenged beyond what we're able to endure. Not because we're stronger than we think, but because He's more faithful than we think. And it's important to keep that in mind because what we're talking about today and the fact that Jesus sends, He doesn't send completed people. He doesn't send people who got every, have everything sorted out. He doesn't send churches who never struggle. He sends every single one of us believers, no matter what, the circumstances are that we're dealing with. He sends us all to be involved in His mission. He has a great plan. Our God has a great plan to redeem this whole world. Sometimes we're out here in a place like this and we go, gosh, God is beautiful. Your creation is beautiful. Not even maybe being able to fathom fully what creation was like before the fall. And sometimes life is just so good. I have to say, my favorite bit of church camp is always watching kid Olympics. Yeah. Watching the kids do the Olympics, man, and just to see their faces and the, 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 the fumbles and the victories. It's just, I love it. It's just like, man, this is beautiful. It feels most like we're a family. I love it. But then it rains. <laughs> and a brother breaks his arm. Middle-aged people trying to play sports. It's not a good thing. <laughs> Things, things still go pear-shaped, don't they? And, and, and sometimes we, in this mix, we think, God, what are you doing? And this is when we have to remember, no, no, no. We know what He's doing. What God is doing is developing, as is redeeming a people to Himself through which He's going to redeem all of creation. And there might be a gazillion different views about how that's actually going to play out. I'm not going to get into any of those views today. But it doesn't mean that the basics we can't all hold on to and pursue. We can know how Jesus sends and why He wants to involve every one of us. If we're willing just to listen afresh. So with your notes, there's three main things we're going to look at. The first is, first main point is... Jesus continues this ongoing chain of discipleship that he started by having disciples that he built up. How many disciples were there? You guys remember from yesterday? How many disciples were there? We don't know. There you go. Well done, Angela. We don't know exactly how many disciples, but we know he at least sent out how many? And he chose specifically how many? There you go. That's what we remember. But we know this, okay? That this, in choosing and sending out the 70 and having these disciples that were learning of him, 
he was wanting to call those disciples to an ongoing chain of disciple making. We, we've used the phrase for years at Servant Church that we want to be and develop a culture of discipleship. This is what we're talking about when we say Jesus sends. He's sending us to be a part of this culture of discipleship. How does he do it? Three ways. First way is this. Through committed gatherings. Through committed gatherings. In other words, he's calling us to do something more than just show up. Look at verse 16 of Matthew chapter 28. In fact, maybe we'll read all the verses together and then go through them. There's not very many. Matthew chapter uh, 28, verses 16 to 20. One of the most familiar passages to us in the scriptures. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And when and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." So what do we mean when we say through committed gatherings? Here, here Jesus says, that these 11 disciples, these are, these are 11 of the 12. We all know what happened to Judas, right? These are 11 of the 12 whom he's invested three and a half years in, whom he knew intimately. He knew these guys really well. And he had told them, I want you to tarry in, in, in Jerusalem until I, I send you out with the power of the Holy Spirit. And here, this could be the same time he said these words that we see in, in Acts chapter 1. could be a slightly different time. But here what we have is him saying, okay, here's what you're going to do when I actually do send you out. Here's what it's going to look like. But it started with them actually meeting in a certain place. It started with them actually gathering together in the place that Jesus called them to. Why were they there? Well, this is their first sub-point. Because Jesus wanted to meet them there. Seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? He says, okay, here's the mountain we're going to meet. He doesn't say which mountain it is. But we, we, we have an idea what it might be. But still, the point is, he says, this is where you're going to meet me. You're going to meet me as my, in, in my resurrection, as my resurrection. I want you to meet right there, and I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to send you from there. I'm going to prepare you from there. Jesus had a place <laughs> where he wanted his disciples to meet. Can anybody guess what the application might be for this? This is what Sunday gatherings are about. This is what home groups are about. This is what men's ministries and women's ministries, small groups are about. They're about us <laughs> gathering in a place where Jesus wants to meet us. It really is about that. And sometimes we, we, we kind of miss this. There's no doubt there's a connection between our, our fruitfulness in mission and our commitment to gather. There's a connection between those two things. So they gathered together, verse 16, because Jesus wanted to meet them there. But also, listen, it says in verse 17 that when they saw him, they worshipped him. They worshipped Jesus. They see the resurrected Christ. They know, they're beginning to understand who he is. Not He is the Messiah, but he's also more than that. He's God's son. And they worship him as God's son. But it says something interesting. It's only mentioned the 11 in this context, so there could have been the full 500 that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15. But it only mentions 11 in this context, and it says that some doubted. Isn't that interesting? 
You can walk with Jesus for three and a half years. You can be in the University of Jesus and still struggle with doubts. But you know what's amazing about this? The doubters still showed up for the gathering. You know why? This is why. Because doubters need to be with worshipers. You know what else? Worshipers need to be with doubters. We need, we need as those who struggle with doubts, and doubt is not the same thing as unbelief, just to be clear. Doubting is when we go, I know I need to trust God here, but I'm struggling to do that. I'm not sure about this, or I'm not sure about that. To doubt literally means to be of kind of two minds. You're kind of like, I, I, I kind of think this, but I kind of think this. Okay? Unbelief is like, I don't believe that. That's, those, those are difference. But doubters, listen, when doubters still do what Jesus calls them to do, when they still meet where Jesus calls them to meet, you know what happens? They're, they see worshipers and they're reminded, now this is what I need to believe. And worshipers, listen, when we gather together and we recognize someone's doubting, what we are reminded of, except for the grace of God today, so go me. <laughs> and I need, to, I, need, I need the doubters to be there to keep me humble. Remember, the only reason I'm worshiping today is because that ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. So I want to be used by the Holy Spirit to help the doubter worship. But they still need to be together. But also, if you drop down to verse 19... The other reason we, we that, that this is important to continue the ongoing chain of discipleship, that we have this committed kind of gathering, it's because it identifies us with our relational God. How do I get that from verse 19? He talks about the, the need for baptizing. And he says in verse 19, the second part of verse 19, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting because this is in the original text. The best manuscripts have this in the original text of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's questioned because it's, a, it's, it's Trinitarian. And in other words, it's, it's emphasizing this three in one. And there are a lot of church historians and even some theologians that want to say, well, that's something the church kind of came up with later. But actually, it's something that's been there and they had to figure it out. <laughs> because God's always been three in one. And I know I talk about this a lot. It's, it's one of these things where I, I feel guilty sometimes because it is a pet doctrine of mine, if I'm being honest. But it means so much to recognize that our God is a relational God. And therefore, when He calls us to, to be those who are doing mission, we're meant to do mission, calling people to know a relational God through, guess what? Relationships. And gathering is about us doing relationships for the purpose of mission. So when the worshipers help the doubters, guess what's happening? You're having a gospel-centered relationship. And when those who love Jesus are supporting each other, guess what happens? When unbelievers see that, they go, there's something about the way these people love each other that I want to know. There's mission going on. When we gather together, we are talking, we are actually revealing, and we, well, I should say, when we gather together and we actually love each other, we actually are doing some interactions that's revealing something of the character of our God. So, so, so when we gather together, it is missional whether or not we're doing an outreach. So a Sunday morning gathering, going through some, you know, really tricky text in 1 Corinthians or something, that is still a missional gathering because one, there's almost always going to be unbelievers in our, our midst. And two, they are watching what we're doing even if they don't know, uh, have a clue of what, what's being said up front. They're watching what we do. And as we love each other, they're radically different from each other. Guess what happens? They go, there's something about this I need to know. There's something about this I need to know. Now, now keeping this in mind, keeping in mind this idea that, that, that Jesus 
sends us to continue this ongoing chain of discipleship through committed gatherings, that this is the purpose. It's not just that I benefit or not just that you benefit as an individual. It's that we can be involved in mission as we gather together. His mission of redeeming the world. Think about these very, very familiar verses in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm purposely reading them from the New Living Translation because it's one of these things we hear them so much we need to hear them in a fresh version. Listen to this. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 to 25, it says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Why? Because it has a missional value. When we do that, we're helping doubters to become worshipers. And when we do that to one another, we're helping unbelievers to learn to become believers. He says, listen, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Why? Because when the Lord comes back, that's it. That's when he finishes the work that he began, but that's also when people don't have another opportunity to believe. There's a missional urgency to our gatherings. Am I making sense? You guys know what I'm saying? Let's be honest. It's been well over two years now since we've had no more lockdowns to worry about. But I still feel like, tell me if I'm wrong. Give, Give me some feedback here. Am I wrong to say it still feels like we're kind of putting our toe in the, in the water ever so gingerly to get back into fellowship. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Joe's like, rebuke, you're wrong. I, I think there's something to that. And I wonder, uh, one of the things I've heard over and over again in conversations was people, when they were, were in lockdown, they really were missing the fellowship, but they thought, well, at least we can watch it online. Can you actually watch fellowship online? There has to be interaction. And here's the reality, listen, that interaction, even when it's on, say, like Zoom, there, there is a, that's better than just watching someone else do something. But still, even on Zoom, there's something a little bit missing, isn't there? Yeah. There's something about us being together that is not just benefit to us, but actually, it's the only way we can do mission. There's, I don't think there's very many, I'm sure there was some, but there wasn't very, probably very much Zoom church where unbelievers were checking it out and people were engaging. There was some, I'm sure there were some. But there wasn't tons. It was hard to kind of keep a conversation going because if someone's feeling uncomfortable, they can, they can just, I'm out, and stop talking to you. Whereas if you're at church and someone kind of opens up, they might feel a little bit trapped, but you can comfort them. You can communicate through body language and compassion that you care. And that conversation can continue. See, there's something amazingly special about us coming together. And we need to be thoughtful about how we can motivate each other. Not just to kind of show up, but to show up ready to go, okay, what good works does the Holy Spirit have for me? This is really important, especially as we uh, start 1 Corinthians chapter 12 on Sunday. Thinking about how the Holy Spirit works with the body. There's a missional motivation that the Holy Spirit has as He gives us different gifts. As He uses us in different ways. One of the things that I, I'm super, super thankful for in my early discipleship was, because I had zero church upbringing, I had no kind of preconceived ideas, well I had some, but they, I had really no clue what church people were like, what church was going to be, I really didn't know, and, and, or what was being expected of me as a Christian. So when I had this radical conversion in 1987, and I get plugged into a church, and they say things to me like, so I say, well I'm not really sure what to do, I said, well just read your Bible every day. Okay. 
I re- I've been reading my Bible every day pretty much since. And, and what, else? What, 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 what else do we do as Christians? Well, we serve one another. Maybe, maybe serve in Sunday school, or why don't you just kind of help us? We have a work day at the church. Okay, that's what we do. That was just normal. I didn't know anything different. And it's hard because when we grow up in church, especially as we grow up in church, all of us have in the last several decades, because none of us are that old. None of us are that old. <laughs> Since we have grown up, we've grown up in, in a time when church in the West has been about, how, what are you experiencing today? Are you comfortable? Is this, does this feel good for you? How's the coffee? <laughs> now I'm all for good coffee, everyone knows. But we grow up like this, we grow up spiritually like this, and we forget that actually, why are we gathering together? Two reasons, to worship the God who saved us, and to demonstrate how other people can be saved. That's why we gather together. There's a missional aspect that gets lost when we're self-consumed Christians. So the first point, through committed gatherings, this is how we're involved in mission. This is how Jesus wants to continue the ongoing chain of discipleship. But also, listen, through intentional outreach, reaching out out of our four walls, or at least, as we'll see, reaching out of our demographic. Look at verse 18. Jesus says, he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Do you see the connection between all authority and all nations? Now, that kind of seems so familiar to us or so obvious. We think, oh, yeah, whatever. But don't forget, in in a first century culture, people saw God as localized. Now, the Jews didn't see God as localized in the sense that God was stuck in a certain area. Okay? But all other nations would have saw their gods connected to their ethnicity or their location. That's how they saw. Okay? So, okay, your God might be the God of the hills, but we live in the valleys. Our God's the God of the valleys. You guys following me? Okay? The Jews knew, no, God's God's the God of everything. He made everything. But what they did is like, God's the God of the Jews. It's it's, it's us. We're the chosen people. So going to other nations seemed like, no, 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 the other nations are defiled. We're the ones that have the truth. Either way, you had this insular attitude when it came to spirituality, or it came to us living out faith, okay? So when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth, therefore go to all nations, what he's saying is, I'm bigger than any God of any place, and because I'm bigger than that, I want all people in all places to know me. Now we are super blessed at servants. To have many nations coming to us. You have a North American who's part of the leadership team. That's me, by the way. Actually, two, because Alex is actually from North America as well, from Mexico. That's right. So you have two North Americans on the leadership team. We have people from, I think the last count was something like 16 different nations at Servants Church, something like that. And that's a real blessing. Because what it, what it should enable us to do is to learn to see how Jesus is over all nations. He's over all those. So that as we relate to each other in His name, and as as we love each other in His name, we're not exalting one nation above the others. We exalt Jesus over all. 
I, I, I kind of think it might be a good idea for this Easter to do again what we did several years ago. Do you guys remember when we had everyone stand up and say, uh, in their, not everyone, we had a, a group of all the nations represented, and they went through the line, and they said, Christ is risen in English, and they said, Christ is risen in their own language. That was so powerful. I think we thought, that's a kind of a cute thing to do. But then when we did it, I, I, there's so many people that were, Marilyn, I remember Marilyn came up, and she's crying. She's like, I didn't realize how moving this would be. I go, I know, it's like seeing heaven. It was amazing. It was just such a beautiful thing to do. And this is really important, because the fact that Jesus has all authority means we can trust Him to overcome all cultural barriers. We can trust Him to overcome all socioeconomic barriers. We can trust Him to overcome all personality barriers. He has all authority. This is important. Because that then connects to what He says, that small little word in verse 19, very important action word in verse 19. Anyone want to guess what it is? Go. Go. In other words, he calls us because he has all authority and because he wants to see all nations reached. He calls us to actually go. How far do you have to go before you're committing, you're, you're actually obeying the commands of Jesus? How far do you have to go? All you have to do is go towards someone else. That's all you have to do. You don't have to move across the world. I wish I would have known that 20 years ago. <laughs> well, I'm very happy to be here. So, soon, soon to be British. Soon to be officially, uh, legally uh, British. Uh, uh, We're glad you didn't know, John. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Leslie. Some of us are. <laughs> you only have to go to the person near you. Here's the other thing I have noticed. I think we, we have... I don't know, post-COVID, maybe it was the lockdown made us a little bit uh, relationally weak. But I've definitely seen that we're a bit more clicky at servants than we used to be. I mean, do you, is, is that, do you think I'm being too harsh or is that you think that's accurate? I, I think it's accurate. I think we're a bit more clicky than we used to be. Not that we've, we're all like that to a degree. Birds of a feather flock together. But I, I, I really feel like this is something that we need to go beyond. <laughs> and we need to learn to say, okay, who, who would I call to? Now, I, I, I want to pause here for a second in this idea of intentional outreach. And I want to connect this to what we've talked about already, especially about what we said yesterday about Jesus prays, you know, how he teaches us to pray, okay? We have an access to the Father that Jesus has provided for us that is meant for our benefit, but it's also, like for individually, but as we said, it's also meant to bring us together collectively. And I, and I, I wonder if maybe we need to be a bit more intentional about praying about this, praying on a Sunday morning. And I'm not just talking about trying to get people to come to Sunday morning prayer, which would be great. You know, I mean, a suggestion I made years ago that no one ever really took up. I'll, I'll, you know, nobody really did, so maybe it wasn't the Lord, I don't know. But I made a suggestion years ago that says, if you're serving on a Sunday anyway, uh, especially a lot of times if you have small children, one, one uh, parent has to go early and the other comes later with the kids. If you're serving on a Sunday early, get there even earlier Get them set up and then get 15 minutes of praying together. I mean, that, that, that really could make a massive difference. But if you're not serving on a particular Sunday and you're just coming together because you know it's good for us to gather together, we're committed together, how about praying, Lord, who am I supposed to minister to? Or Lord, who might have a good word for me today? Because it's funny, we, we tend to just kind of come and just, I showed up, man. Give me some credit. And that's about as far as it goes. No, I am thankful if you show up. We really are thankful when you show up. But really, 
God wants to do more. And when we are prayerful and say, okay, Lord, we want to be intentional about outreach. We want to know who am I supposed to step towards? Who, who, who seems to be marginalized? And sometimes the person that God wants to step towards is the person who so struggles socially to step towards anybody else. Us stepping towards them helps. It does. It really helps, you know. Or maybe the person we're supposed to step towards is someone that we do know very well, but we, you know, we've been kind of distancing ourselves because they hurt our feelings. Or maybe the person we're supposed to step towards is someone that, that is brand new to the church. Or, this is horrible, I know this has happened to me a thousand times, I'm sure it's happened to you. You say, oh, hi, hi I'm so and so, nice to meet you. Is this your first time? No, I've been coming for months. It's a horrible feeling, isn't it? We once had a, a student over for a meal that I knew had been coming for, I'd, I'd seen her around for several months, and we had other students over. So, so why don't you come and have a meal? She's like, oh, great, this is my last Sunday. Oh, really? Oh, that's so sad. And so she came over. I'm like, so we started going around the table. How long have you been coming? I expect her to say six months, because that's as long as I remember. She said five years. But she did, she did confess that she had came solid for about six months, and then was on placement. It was just, she didn't, you only saw her every once every three months, so to be fair. But still, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> It's hard, isn't it? But you know what? I'd rather be embarrassed because I found out something I didn't know than to stand before Jesus and Him saying, you know, you ignored most of the people that you went to church with. Again, there's something missional about us stepping towards people that Jesus wants to see, that intentional outreach. Now, uh, there's something else I want us to see in this. Okay, again, look at verses 19a. Go therefore and make disciples of all nation. So that has an ethnic component. In fact, the, the, one of the verses that we have in your notes, I think, um, Revelations 5, 9, one of my favorites, it says they, this is a picture of people worshiping around the throne of God. It says they sang a new song with these words, you are worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals and sing into Jesus and to open it. For you were slaughtered and your uh, blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and nation and people uh, uh, tribe and language and people and nation. I love that. I mean, that is the picture of heaven that we get. It's lovely. But uh, there's something else here, okay? If we can learn to be intentional as a gathered people with each other, you know what happens? We're automatically ready to invite unbelievers to church. Now, I have over the years, because... Uh, I'm sure you guys have all noticed that my sermons go a bit long. And the, the brothers that we're teaching, the, uh, encouraging to teach and training to teach, they all seem to go a bit long too. My bad, I think. But we all go a bit long. But you know what I've found? People who have no church experience, they don't care. It's spoiled church people. Like, you talk too much. No, you're not spoiled. It's, it gets a bit tough, I know. But you know what happens, actually? Again, it's not so much what they're hearing up front but what they're seeing. So if we do it to each other, you know what happens? Then we can have confidence. I can invite this person to church and not be embarrassed, even if John goes too long, or even if the kids are too wild, or whatever it is we think, or even the music is not as, as, as cool as another church's music is, or whatever the case might be. What we're not ashamed of is the gospel, and we see the gospel changing us in our missional gatherings. So there is this connection between reaching outside the church and bringing them in. Now maybe at this point you're thinking, okay, but Jesus doesn't want us just to see churches the only way we do mission. No, He doesn't. He doesn't. But if we can't do it together that way, we probably won't be very very effective. We probably will feel like it's a struggle to bring them into our fellowship. Is this all making sense? So, so there's, 
he, he, Jesus is going to continue this ongoing chain of discipleship through committed gatherings, through intentional outreach, but also through credible uh, influence. What do I mean by credible? Well, I mean the opposite of incredible. Incredible means I can't believe this. Credible means I can believe it. Credible influence. Jesus says, here's how outreach happens. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. See the, the, the positioning of them and you. Who's got what responsibility? You have a responsibility to teach them. How do you do this? Well, first of all, here's the first sub-point. You can't teach what you don't know. Why do we want to be thorough and, and have a, a, a significant amount of substance in our Bible teaching? It's not just so we can go, look at us, we have these big brains and we know stuff. No. It's so that we can say, are you, we want to equip you to do the work of the ministry. We want to equip you to do mission. We want that substance to be there. We want to answer the tough questions that people might be thinking of. We want people to know that they can trust this book. And that there's wisdom to save our souls in this book. We want people to, to know the message of God is trustworthy because the God of the message is trustworthy. And so we want to have that substance. So the issue is, if you don't know how to say to somebody, this is, is, is who God is, and this is how you can believe in Him, if you can't explain that in basic understanding, we need to do a better job. And you need to make sure you're paying attention. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he says, he's saying to these 11, teach them. And of course, again, we don't know for sure, but there could have been the other 500 observing this as well. And even if he's only saying this to the 11 disciples, they're supposed to teach everybody else to do the same thing that they're doing. Which means all of us are called to teach in this way. In other words, to explain to people the truth of the gospel. And you can't do that unless you understand the truth of the gospel. Are you guys following me? So there needs to be a sense that we are disciples in the most literal sense of the word, which means learner. That we come ready to learn, not just new information, but a better understanding about how to apply the truth of what God says. Okay? This is what we need to learn. So, so, so seriously, I want you to think about this. If someone was to say to you, why do you believe, uh, why, why are you a Christian? How would you answer that? And could you answer that question in a way that you could actually connect back to the message of Scripture? I'm not saying you know chapter and verse necessarily, but you can connect it back. Would you be able to say, well, I'm a Christian because I really do believe that God loves me. The Bible says God so loves the world and I'm part of that. Or I'm a Christian because I really came to realize that life doesn't make sense and, and, and to, to be really hard, and then you just die. But Jesus rose from the dead. And he's promised that all rise from the dead. Even if he can't pronounce chapter verse. Do you, do you see what I'm saying here? Can you connect your story to God's story? Which is what we have here. Because that's what we're trying to equip you to do. We, we could be failing miserably. And if you feel like we're failing miserably, please give us some feedback. Because we want to be better. But that's what we're trying to do. Because you can't teach what you don't know. Do you know how God's story connects to your story? Do you see where God brought you into His story? Because if you can, guess what? You're in a better place than you think to be a missionary. And wherever you go to work on Monday morning is your mission field. Even if you, where you go to work is at home. 
But also, look what he says. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you to do. So there's an issue here that he's talking about of obedience. Okay? There's an issue of obedience here that is important to mission. God sends us and he calls us to be those who, who demonstrate his goodness by obeying him, by doing what he says. Now this is where it gets hard because this is where I think one, we have to be honest with ourselves that we don't always want to obey God, do we? We don't always want to do what God wants us to do. And we definitely don't always do what we know God wants us to do, even when we want to do it. And we've got to be honest that we're in process, okay? But this is important because the truth is, being in process itself is part of the witness. It's part of the, the testimony of how God saves people. He saves people through a process. He makes us right uh, through the finished work of Jesus. We're justified, that's the big word. We're made right with God. We're rendered innocent, or we're pronounced innocent. Uh, by God, because of the work of Jesus, and one day we're gonna we're gonna wake up in in His image, completely restored and resurrected. We'll be glorified. That's the meaning of that big word, glorified. But in between, guess what? There is this really long process that people need to see as a good thing. It's a good thing. In other words, this brings up the second sub point. You can't know where you won't grow. <laughs> Okay, I gotta teach, but I can't. I gotta explain the truth to people, but I can't explain the truth if I don't know the truth. And I don't really know the truth. I'm not willing to grow in the truth. How do I grow in obedience in this area? And so this is important because it, we need to recognize it's as we're maturing that we're able to be more effective witnesses. It's not once we're mature; it's as we're maturing. In fact, here's a a decent. Uh, I think a decent. Um, Definition for spiritual maturity or Christian maturity. It's obedience from love over time. Obedience from love over time. That's maturity. So you could you could say, I'm really going to be obedient. And you just really, you're just exercising all the will you can muster up to do everything you think you're supposed to do. And after a very exhausting week, think, oh, I don't know if I can keep this up. Or you can just say, I'm just going to love people. And you just kind of, you're really sweet, and you're nice, and you're personable. But behind the scenes, you do what you want to do. And neither of those things are going to lead to maturity. But if you say, Lord, I want to learn to love you because I, I have to believe that you love me as I am in Jesus. Because it is, you already love me. And so I want to believe that you love me, and I want to learn to love you. And I know that loving you means doing what you say. If that's your heart, okay, Lord, I want to learn obedience that comes from love, then guess what? There's that third element. It's going to take time. I, I, I'm not nearly as mature as I thought I'd be after 35 years of walking with Jesus, but I'm far more mature than I was 35 years ago. And I don't expect someone who's been a Christian for six months to be at a level of maturity that I am, to, to have a, a, be, be convicted as quickly as maybe as I am, or... Or to have the wisdom to know what it means to walk in obedience in a certain area as I do. Which is why I love, again, the way Jesus uses these words. He says, teaching them to observe. That means to actually, to watch and do. But what does that imply? They have to see someone do it. They have to see someone do it. What was that phrase? Was it, one of you doctors was telling me a phrase that you learned. Uh, something you learned in medicine. What was that? See one, do one, teach one. See one, do one, teach one. There you go. That's how discipleship works. 
You, you, someone's going, oh, I'm just really struggling. I, I just feel like I can never find the time uh, to, 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 to read my Bible or to pray. I just, I don't, I can't do it. I just can't do it. You have to be able to show them that. Well, here's how it works for me. I got kids all around me, so what I do is I just say, I have the Bible open in front of me while I'm cooking or something, and I read two verses, and I say, Lord, you got to speak to me these two verses. That's all I've got time for. And I mumble it to myself in between yell at my children, and I just say, Lord, keep speaking to me, and that's how I get God's Word into my life. That's enough. That's enough for me right now. Or, you know, I, I, on my lunch break, when I want to kind of just go chill out or surf the web, instead, I spend 15 minutes, and I just open God's Word, and I read, and I say, Lord, would you speak to me? You have to be able to say, this is what it looks like, and then say, we can do that together. Or, actually, I don't really have much of a daily quiet time, because my life is so manic, but I make sure that when I have a day off, that I block for my spouse so they can go have a quiet time, and then they block for me so I can go have a quiet time. Do you see what I'm saying? There's a, when we can do it to a place where we can say, this is what, or I'm learning to obey here, then we can teach people what it looks like to obey. This is really important. There's no credibility in our influence if we can't do that. Lastly, I love what Jesus says here. He says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are not called, Jesus does not send us to make disciples of servants' church. Jesus does not send us to make disciples of John Brown or disciples of Johnny Hall or disciples of whoever you are. No, you're, you're, no, one, is, you, no one should say, I, I don't say, I'm a disciple of Troy Vanderwin. You guys know who Troy Vanderwin is? Good. He doesn't want you to know who he is. He was my youth pastor and had a massive influence in my life. Great guy. I even broke his nose once and he still loves me. Great guy. But I wasn't a disciple of Troy Vanderwin. I was shown what it means to be a disciple by Troy Vanderwin. Does that make sense? So the, the issue is, what does it have to do with Jesus being with us always? Because when Troy could no longer take me any further because our lives were going different directions, then guess what? I needed to remember that... The, 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 it wasn't Troy that was so great. It was Jesus speaking through Troy that was so great. So that I could say, Lord, I, I, you're with me always. And so that we can say with confidence to the people that we're trying to disciple, the Lord's with you always. When you're worshiping, when you're doubting, when you're going, when you're staying, when you're selfish, when you're selfless, He's still with you always. Jesus didn't just sit on his throne and say, go, let me know how it happens at the rapture. How'd it go? He says, go as he goes with us. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, and this, again, New Living Translation, hopefully keep it fresh for us. He says, God is working in you, giving you the desire... And the power to do what pleases Him. Do you guys believe that? Do you believe that God is working in you, giving you a desire to be pleasing to Him? Do you have any inkling to be pleasing to God? If you do, it's a God-given inkling. <laughs> I'm not saying you don't have other desires, because you're a sinner like me. You have other selfish desires, but if you have a desire, even in the midst of selfishness, oh, I really want to do what I want to do. 
really want to do what God wants me to do. The, I want to do what God wants me to do. That's God working in you. So if, if you don't have that naturally, and yet you have it somehow still, guess what you can believe? The God who gives you the desire to do something can also give you the power to do it. Do you understand? That's what he's calling us to believe. He says, listen, do everything without uh, complaining or arguing. That will be important as we break down camp. <laughs> that no one criticize you. Live clean. Innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Does that sound like mission to you? How do we do mission? How do we go out and be a part of this great work that Jesus is doing to save his created world? How do we be a part of that? We say, Lord, work in me to want what you want for me. I, I, I want to be, Lord, one of those who is committed to gathering who's intentional about outreach, and who's incredible in my influence. I want to be those. Well, that's, that is, that's what you want for me. I want that. Therefore, I can trust. If I want that, that's your work in me. I can trust you to give me the power to see that happen. Can you believe that? 